Section four of Heart of the West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Heart of the West by O. Henry. Chapter four. The Handbook of Hymen. Tis the opinion of myself, Sanderson Pratt, who sets this down, that the educational system of the United States should be in the hands of the Weather Bureau. I can give you good reasons for it, and you can't tell me why our college professors shouldn't be transferred to the meteorological department. They have been learned to read, and they could very easily glance at the morning papers, then wire in to the main office what kind of weather to expect. But there's the other side of the proposition. I am going on to tell you how the weather furnished me and Idaho Green with an elegant education. We was up in the Bitterroot Mountains over the Montana line prospecting for gold. A chin-whiskered man in Walla Walla, carrying a line of hope as excess baggage, had grub-staked us, and there we was in the foothills pecking away, with enough grub on hand to last an army through a peace conference. Along one day comes a mail-rider over the mountains from Carlos, and stops to eat three cans of green gauges, and leave us a newspaper of modern date. This paper prints a system of premonitions of the weather, and the card it dealt Bitterroot Mountains from the bottom of the deck was warmer and fair, with light westerly breezes. That evening it began to snow, with the wind strong in the east. Me and Idaho moved camp into an old empty cabin higher up the mountain, thinking it was only a November flurry. But after falling three foot on a level, it went to work in earnest, and we knew we was snowed in. We got in plenty of firewood before it got deep, and we had grub enough for two months, so we let the elements rage and cut up all they thought proper. If you want to instigate the art of manslaughter, just shut two men up in an eighteen-by-twenty-foot cabin for a month. Human nature won't stand it. When the first snowflakes fell, me and Idaho Green laughed at each other's jokes and praised the stuff we turned out of a skillet and called bread. At the end of three weeks, Idaho makes this kind of an edict to me. Says he, I never exactly heard sour milk dropping out of a balloon on the bottom of a tin pan, but I have an idea it would be music of the spears compared to this attenuated stream of asphyxiated thought that emanates out of your organs of conversation. The kind of half-masticated noises that you emit every day puts me in mind of a cow's cud, only she's lady enough to keep hers to herself, and you ain't. Mr. Green, says I, you having been a friend of mine once, I have some hesitation in confessing to you that if I had my choice for society between you and a common yellow three-legged cur-pup, one of the inmates of this here cabin would be wagging a tail just at present. This way we goes on for two or three days, and then we quits speaking to one another. We divides up the cooking implements, and Idaho cooks his grub on one side of the fireplace and me on the other. The snow is up to the windows, and we have to keep a fire all day. You see, me and Idaho never had any education beyond reading and doing if John had three apples and James five on a slate. We never felt any special need for a university degree, though we had acquired a species of intrinsic intelligence in knocking around the world that we could use in emergencies. But, snowbound in that cabin in the bitter roots, we felt for the first time that if we had studied Homer or Greek and fractions and the higher branches of information, we'd have had some resources in the line of meditation and private thought. I've seen them eastern college folks working in camps all through the West, and I never noticed but what education was less of a drawback to them than you'd think. Why, once, over on Snake River, when Andrew McWilliams' saddle horse got the bots, 
he sent a buckboard ten miles for one of those strangers that claimed to be a botanist but that horse died one morning idaho was poking around with a stick on top of a little shelf that was too high to reach two books fell down to the floor i started toward him but caught idaho's eye he speaks for the first time in a week don't burn your fingers says he in spite of the fact that you're only fit to be the companion of a sleeping mud turtle i'll give you a square deal and that's more than your parents did when they turned you loose in the world with the sociability of a rattlesnake and the bedside manner of a frozen turnip i'll play you a game of seven up the winner to pick up his choice of the book the loser to take the other we played and idaho won he picked up his book and i took mine then each of us got on his side of the house and went to reading i never was as glad to see a ten-ounce nugget as i was that book and idaho took it his like a kid looks at a stick of candy mine was a little book about five by six inches called herkimer's handbook of indispensable information i may be wrong but i think that was the greatest book that ever was written i've got it to-day and i can stump you or any man fifty times in five minutes with all the information in it talk about solomon or the new york tribune herkimer had cases on both of em that man must have put in fifty years and travelled a million miles to find out all that stuff there was the population of all cities in it and the way to tell a girl's age and the number of teeth a camel has it told you the longest tunnel in the world the number of the stars how long it takes for chicken-pox to break out and what a lady's neck ought to measure the veto powers of governors the dates of the roman aqueducts how many pounds of rice going without three beers a day would buy the average annual temperature of augusta maine the quantity of seeds required to plant an acre of carrots in drills antidotes for poisons the number of hairs on a blonde lady's head how to preserve eggs the height of all the mountains in the world and the dates of all wars and battles and how to restore drowned persons and sunstroke and the number of tacks in a pound and how to make dynamite and flowers and beds and what to do before the doctor comes and a hundred times as many things besides if there was anything herkimer didn't know i didn't miss it out of the book i sat and read that book for four hours all the wonders of education was compressed in it i forgot the snow and i forgot that me and old idaho was on the outs he was sitting still on a stool reading away with a kind of partly soft partly mysterious look shining through his tan bark whiskers idaho says i what kind of book is yours idaho must have forgot too for he answered moderate without any slander or malignity why says he this here seems to be a volume by homer k m homer k m what i asks why just homer k m says he you're a liar says i a little riled that idaho should try to put me up a tree no man is going round signing books with his initials if it's homer k m spoopendike or homer k m mcsweeney or homer k m jones why don't you just say so like a man instead of biting off the end of it like a calf chewing off the tail of a shirt on a clothesline i put it to you straight sandy says idaho quiet it's a poem book says he by homer k m i couldn't get color out of it at first but there's a vein if you follow it up i wouldn't have missed this book for a pair of red blankets you're welcome to it says i what i want is a disinterested statement of facts for the mind to work on and that's what i seem to find in the book i've drawn what you've got says idaho is statistics the lowest grade of information that exists they'll poison your mind give me old k m s system of surmises he seems to be a kind of wine agent his regular toast is nothing doing 
and he seems to have a grouch, but he keeps it so well lubricated with booze that his worst kicks sound like an invitation to split a quart. But it's poetry, says Idaho, and I have sensations of scorn for that truck of yours that tries to convey sense in feet and inches. When it comes to explaining the instinct of philosophy through the art of nature, old K.M. has got your man beat by drills, rows, paragraphs, chest measurement, and average annual rainfall. So that's the way me and Idaho had it. Day and night, all the excitement we got was studying our books. That snowstorm sure fixed us with a fine lot of attainments apiece. By the time the snow melted, if you had stepped up to me and suddenly said, Sanderson Pratt, what would it cost per square foot to lay a roof with twenty by twenty, eight tin at nine dollars and fifty cents per box? I'd have told you quick as light, travel, the length of a spade handle at the rate of one hundred ninety-two thousand miles per second. How many can do it? You wake up most any man you know in the middle of the night, and ask him quick to tell you the number of bones in the human skeleton exclusive of the teeth, or what percentage of the vote the Nebraska legislature overruled the veto. Will he tell you? Try him and see. About what benefit Idaho got out of his poetry book, I didn't exactly know. Idaho boosted the wine agent every time he opened his mouth, but I wasn't so sure. This Homer K.M., from what leaked out of his libretto through Idaho, seemed to me to be a kind of a dog who looked at life like it was a tin can tied to his tail. After running himself half to death, he sits down, hangs his tongue out, and looks at the can and says, Oh, well, since we can't shake the growler, let's get it filled at the corner and all have a drink on me. Besides that, it seems he was a Persian, and I never heard of Persia producing anything worth mentioning, unless it was Turkish rugs and Maltese cats. That spring, me and Idaho struck pay or It was a habit of ours to sell out quick and keep moving. We unloaded our grub-staker for $8,000 apiece, and then we drifted down to this little town of Rosa on the Salmon River to rest up and get some human grub and have our whiskers harvested. Rosa was no mining camp. It laid in the valley and was as free of uproar and pestilence as one of them rural towns in the country. There was a three-mile trolley line champing its bit in the environs, and me and Idaho spent a week riding on one of the cars dropping off at nights at the Sunset View Hotel. Being now well-read as well as traveled, we was soon pro-Renata with the best society in Rosa, and was invited out to the most dressed-up and high-toned entertainments. It was at a piano recital and quail-eating contest in the city hall, for the benefit of the fire company, that me and Idaho first met Mrs. Diorman Sampson, the queen of Rosa society. Mrs. Sampson was a widow, and owned the only two-story house in town. It was painted yellow, and whichever way you looked from, you could see it as plain as egg on the chin of an O'Grady on a Friday. Twenty-two men in Rosa besides me and Idaho was trying to stake a claim on that yellow house. There was a dance after the songbooks and quail bones had been raked out of the hall. Twenty-three of the bunch galloped over to Mrs. Sampson and asked for a dance. I sidestepped the two-step and asked permission to escort her home. That is where I made a hit. On the way home, says she, ain't the stars lovely and bright tonight, Mr. Pratt. For the chance they've got, says I, they're humping themselves in a mighty creditable way. That big one, you see, is sixty-six million miles distant. It took thirty-six years for its light to reach us. With an eighteen-foot telescope, you can see forty-three million of them, including them of the thirteenth magnitude, which, if one was to go out now, you would keep on seeing for twenty-seven hundred years. My, says Mrs. Sampson, I never knew that before. How warm it is. I'm as damp as I can be from dancing so much. That's easy to account for, says I, when you happen to know that you've got two million sweat glands working all at once. 
if every one of your perspiratory ducts which are a quarter of an inch long was placed end to end it would reach a distance of seven miles lawsy says mrs sampson it sounds like an irrigation ditch you was describing mr pratt how do you get all this knowledge of information from observation mrs sampson i tells her i keep my eyes open when i go about the world mr pratt says she i always did admire a man of education there are so few scholars among the sap-headed plug uglies of this town it's a real pleasure to converse with a gentleman of culture i'd be gratified to have you call at my house whenever you feel so inclined and that was the way i got the good will of the lady in the yellow house every tuesday and friday evening i used to go there and tell her about the wonders of the universe as discovered tabulated and compiled from nature by herkimer idaho and the other gay lutherans of the town got every minute of the rest of the week that they could i never imagined that idaho was trying to work on mrs sampson with old k m s rules of courtship till one afternoon when i was on my way over to take her a basket of wild hog plums i met the lady coming down the lane that led to her house her eyes were snapping and her hat made a dangerous dip over one eye mr pratt she opens up this mr green is a friend of yours i believe for nine years said i cut him out says she he's no gentleman why ma'am says i he's a plain incumbent of the mountains with asperities and the usual failings of a spendthrift and a liar but i never on the most momentous occasion had the heart to deny that he was a gentleman it may be that in haberdashery and the sense of arrogance and display idaho offends the eye but inside ma'am i found him impervious to the lower grades of crime and obesity after nine years of idaho's society mrs sampson i winds up i should hate to impute him and i should hate to see him imputed it's right plausible of you mr pratt says mrs sampson to take up the curmudgeons in your friend's behalf but it don't alter the fact that he has made proposals to me sufficiently obnoxious to ruffle the ignominy of any lady why now 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 says i old idaho do that i could believe it of myself sooner i never knew but one thing to deride in him and a blizzard was responsible for that once while we was snowbound on the mountains he became prey to a kind of spurious and uneven poetry which may have corrupted his demeanour it has said mrs sampson ever since i knew him he's been reciting to me a lot of irreligious rhymes by some person he calls ruby ought and who is no better than she should be if you judge by her poetry then idaho has struck a new book says i for the one he had was by a man who writes under the nom de plume of k m he'd better have stuck to it said mrs sampson whatever it was and to-day he caps the vortex i get a bunch of flowers from him and on him is pinned a note now mr pratt you know a lady when you see her and you know how i stand in rosa's society do you think for a moment that i'd skip out to the woods with a man along with a jug of wine and a loaf of bread and go singing and cavorting up and down under the trees with him i take a little claret with my meals but i'm not in the habit of packing a jug of it into the brush and raising cane in any such style as that and of course he'd bring his book of verses along too he said so let him go on his scandalous picnics alone or let him take his ruby ot with him i reckon she wouldn't kick unless it was on account of there being too much bread along and what do you think of your gentleman friend now mr pratt wellum says i it may be that idaho's invitation was a kind of poetry and meant no harm may be it belonged to the class of rhymes they call figurative they offend law and order but they get sent through the mails on the grounds that they mean something that they don't say 
I'd be glad on Idaho's account if you'd overlook it, says I, and let us extricate our minds from the low regions of poetry to the higher planes of fact and fancy. On a beautiful afternoon like this, Mrs. Sampson, I goes on, we should let our thoughts dwell accordingly. Though it is warm here, we should remember that at the equator the line of perpetual frost is at an altitude of fifteen thousand feet. Between the latitudes of forty degrees and forty-nine degrees, it is from four thousand to nine thousand feet. Oh, Mr. Pratt, says Mrs. Sampson, it's such a comfort to hear you say them beautiful facts after getting such a jar from that minx of a ruby's poetry. Let us sit on this log at the roadside, says I, and forget the inhumanity and ribaldry of the poets. It is in the glorious columns of ascertained facts and legalized measures that beauty is to be found. In this very log we sit upon, Mrs. Sampson, says I, is statistics more wonderful than any poem. The rings show it was sixty years old, at the depth of two thousand feet it would become coal in three thousand years the deepest coal mine in the world is at killingworth near newcastle a box four feet long three feet wide and two feet eight inches deep will hold one ton of coal if an artery is cut compress it above the wound a man's leg contains thirty bones the tower of london was burned in eighteen forty one go on mr pratt says mrs sampson them ideas is so original and soothing i think statistics are just as lovely as they can be but it wasn't till two weeks later that i got all that was coming to me out of herkimer one night i was waked up by folks hollering fire all round i jumped up and dressed and went out of the hotel to enjoy the scene when i see it was mrs sampson's house i gave forth a kind of yell and i was there in two minutes the whole lower story of the yellow house was in flames, and every masculine, feminine, and canine in Rosa was there, screeching and barking and getting in the way of the firemen. I saw Idaho trying to get away from six firemen who were holding him. They was telling him the whole place was on fire downstairs, and no man could go in and come out alive. "'Where's Mrs. Sampson?' I asks. "'She hasn't been seen,' says one of the firemen. "'She sleeps upstairs. We've tried to get in, but we can't, and our company hasn't got any ladders yet.' I runs around to the light of the big blaze and pulls the handbook out of my inside pocket. I kind of laughed when I felt it in my hands. I reckon I was some daffy with the sensation of excitement. Herky, old boy, I says to it as I flipped over the pages, you ain't ever lied to me yet, and you ain't ever throwed me down at a scratch yet. Tell me what, old boy, tell me what, says I. I turned to What to Do in Case of Accidents on page 117. I ran my finger down the page and struck it good old herkimer he never overlooked anything it said suffocation from inhaling smoke or gas there is nothing better than flaxseed place a few seeds in the outer corner of the eye i shoved the handbook back in my pocket and grabbed a boy that was running by here says i giving him some money run to the drug store and bring a dollar's worth of flaxseed hurry and you'll get another for yourself now i sings out to the crowd we'll have mrs sampson and i throws away my coat and hat Four of the firemen and citizens grabs hold of me. It's sure death, they say, to go in the house, for the floors were beginning to fall through. How in blazes, I sings out, kind of laughing yet, but not feeling like it, do you expect me to put flaxseed in the eye without the eye? I jabbed each elbow in a fireman's face, kicked the bark off one citizen's shin, and tripped the other with a side hold. Then I busted into the house. If I die first, I'll write you a letter and tell you if it's any worse down there than the inside of that yellow house was, but don't believe it yet. I was a heap more cooked than the hurry-up orders of broiled chicken you get in restaurants. The fire and smoke had me down on the floor twice, and was about to shame Herkimer, but the firemen helped me with their little stream of water, and I got to Mrs. Sampson's room. 
she'd lost conscientiousness from the smoke so i wrapped her in the bedclothes and got her on my shoulder well the floors wasn't as bad as they said or i never could have done it by no means i carried her out fifty yards from the house and laid her on the grass then of course every one of them other twenty-two plaintiffs to the lady's hand crowded round with tin dippers of water ready to save her and up runs the boy with the flaxseed i unwrapped the covers from mrs sampson's head she opened her eyes and says is that you mr pratt Shh, says i don't talk till you've had the remedy i runs my arm round her neck and raises her head gentle and breaks the bag of flaxseed with the other hand and as easily as i could i bends over and slips three or four of the seeds into the outer corner of her eye up gallops the village dock by this time and snorts around and grabs at mrs sampson's pulse and wants to know what i mean by such sand-blasted nonsense well old jallop and jerusalem oakseed says i i'm no regular practitioner but i'll show you my authority anyway they fetched my coat and i gets out the handbook look on page one hundred seventeen says i at the remedy for suffocation by smoke or gas flaxseed in the outer corner of the eye it says i don't know whether it works as a smoke consumer or whether it hikes the compound gastrohippopotamus nerve into action but herkimer says it and he was called to the case first if you want to make it a consultation there's no objection the old doc takes the book and looks at it by means of his specs and a fireman's lantern well mr pratt says he you evidently got on the wrong line in reading your diagnosis the recipe for suffocation says get the patient into fresh air as quickly as possible and place in a reclining position the flaxseed remedy is for dust and cinders in the eye on the line above but after all see here interrupts mrs sampson i reckon i've got something to say in this consultation that flaxseed done me more good than anything i ever tried and then she raises up her head and lays it back on my arm again and says put some in the other eye sandy dear and so if you was to stop off at rosa to-morrow or any other day you'd see a fine new yellow house with mrs pratt that was mrs sampson embellishing and adorning it and if you was to step inside you'd see on the marble top centre table in the parlour herkimer's handbook of indispensable information all rebound in red morocco and ready to be consulted on any subject pertaining to human happiness and wisdom end of section four